I have to say this is a dream come true to stand here before you. I recognize that I'm standing in the footprints of giants, people that I consider dear friends and mentors, uh, people in the theological and academic realm have been the true heavy hitters. I remember, um, I remember sitting right over here listening to Eugene Peterson speak. Man, it was just, it was refreshing. I remember, I think I remember correctly, uh, Dr. Glower was preaching in this chapel, and of course, Dr. Glower could always, you know, just preach the ceiling down, but the fire alarm went off, um, and that was quite appropriate because he was, as he always is, on fire with the Spirit, and just to be able to stand in the footprint of, of giants of the faith in my life is a great privilege. This truly is, as the year of my presidency of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, a high watermark, and it represents a journey. Each of us are on a journey, and I'm thankful that my journey has crossed paths with your journey, and many of you that I know, I've known for a long time. William de Graffenreid, I'll pick on you for just a moment, and thank you for reading scripture, and, and Reese, it is so good to see you with your dad. Please hold him by the arm as, as he walks out, you know, this morning. Uh, William and I served a million years ago uh, together as he still serves at First Baptist Church in Chilton, Texas. And what a joy to be able to share a podium again with you, brother. Uh, we, we regard him and Julie as true brothers and sisters, not just blood-bought, but even a closer connection than that. But our journey took us through Chilton, Texas. I was not called into the ministry. I was conscripted. <laughs> Christy and I were attending as very young adults in college while attending Tarleton State University. We were the young adults at First Baptist Church of Iredell, Texas. If any of you are traveling on Highway 6, uh, maybe perhaps going out to Abilene, going up to Eastland, you will go past Iredell, Texas. If you blink, you'll miss it. There are 300 souls in Iredell, Texas, and we were the only young adults in the church, and we had a, an older couple that were the youth ministers, they taught the Sunday school and they gathered the youth for uh, the Wednesday night meeting or the Sunday night meeting and they cornered us and they said, you're going to be the youth ministers. We were too young and too dumb to say no. But that's how our journey started and God used that. God worked in that conscription. He worked out my calling. He had called Christy a long time ago. Christy wanted to be, y'all pray for her, she from a young age wanted to be a pastor's wife. Uh, she had her heart set on marrying a pastor, but she settled for me. And I'm grateful to God that she did because that was part of our journey. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to get out of the secular world and get into the sacred world. And, and that's where God wants me to be. I thought that answering that call that transform from a conscription to a calling would be the destination that God wanted me to participate in. But I found that being a destination was unsatisfying, regarding it as a journey that he's called me to, that he's called us to, and he's called all of us to participate in is much more satisfying. 
because you never know what's around the next corner. And I love how God called his people out of Egypt. He worked miraculously to prepare the way for them to leave Egypt, but he regarded them as too weak to be able to face the challenges of the world all on their own. And he led them through the wilderness. In my version, it says he led them down the desert road. Now there's one place you don't want to be between Egypt and the Red Sea, and that's in the desert. Because anytime you find yourself in the desert, whenever you stop, you're perishing. Whenever you stop growing, you're dying. Whenever you stop learning, you're withering on the vine. God's never called any of us to a specific place where it's not part of the journey. And some of those, some of those journeys take us off the map. It takes us into uncharted territory. I know that in the last four years at First Baptist Church of Nederland, Texas, we thought that we had arrived. We were at one of those career level churches. We were ministering into the community in a powerful way, making inroads into neighborhoods, making connections with the people that you really need to make connections with. And then something happened in 2017 that put Nederland on the map that never in a million years would have been predicted. We had Hurricane Harvey. Hurricane Harvey, you know, here in Central Texas, I, having grown up in Central Texas, hurricanes are a blessing. They bring rain in the late summer when we need it. They help refresh our crops. We can make an extra cutting of hay. But that's not the case when you live at 17 feet above sea level. Hurricane Harvey visited us and it brought 64 and a half inches of rain over a three-day period. 64 and a half, I think that's somewhere around here. Todd, there was no class in seminary that prepared me for that. God wasn't calling us to a place, he was calling us to a journey. And it was scary because we were in, not a desert, but a swamp, cut off from the world. And it caused me to have to lean heavily upon what I received at Truett Seminary. Where is God when 64 and a half inches of rain fall? Where is God when the houses all around yours, praise be to God, our house was, was not damaged in the flood, but we had so many friends, so many neighborhoods around us whose homes stood in four feet of water for days. People couldn't get out of Nederland or Port Arthur. People couldn't get in to Nederland, Port Natchez, Port Arthur, or Groves in order to deliver aid. And it made me question, God, what are you doing? God, I'm not prepared for this. God, I've not read a book about how to be a pastor in the time of a flood or for all of us more recently in the time of a pandemic, but God leads us nonetheless through the desert. And unless you're going forward, you're dying. Unless you're going forward with God, with your, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. Yes, Lord, I'll be faithful. Yes, Lord, I'll answer that call. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you say. I'll provide what is required. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Yes, Lord, that's what takes us forward 
on the great journey of our calling. There's, there's pain in the journey, but pain in the journey is profitable. You pick up a few scars along the way, but those scars become part of your testimony. The people of God were not prepared to meet the greater challenges that they would face, but God gave them the resources they needed to thrive in the desert. The desert, the wilderness became a hallowed place for them. And in the later scriptures, in the time of the prophets, and in the time of, uh, of Elijah and Elisha, it became a place where, where John the Baptist was out in the wilderness where they might seek God and know God and remember their relationship with God. We've all gone through deserts together. God leads us purposefully through the desert, though it doesn't make any sense. Your journey that God has you on doesn't have to make sense. God's in control and God is good. And as he leads us, it's ours to follow. It's interesting in this passage, I, I didn't permit William to read it because I wanted to share it with you myself. It's what I've found to be true. It's what you, I hope, find to be true in your life. A little further on down from verse 18 in the same chapter of the book of Exodus. It says, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God has not sent you on a journey alone. Though there are times where you will feel friendless. There are times where you may feel abandoned. There are times where you may feel like you're going it alone, but you're never going on your journey. Not one step, not one inch, not one centimeter without the presence of God beside you. God promised his presence to the people. He led them visibly and powerfully in the daytime and he lit up the nighttime sky so that they might make a quick retreat from Egypt all the way to the Red Sea along the desert road, the wilderness road, the road that was less traveled, the road that didn't make sense. He said, I'm going to be with you. And that God that was with those Hebrew children is the God that is with us today. He's the God that speaks to us through the person of Jesus Christ in the great commandment, the great commission to his disciples. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a journey, isn't it? That's an invitation to a journey. Back in 2000, when I was first answering the call to ministry, went to the, at the time, interim pastor at First Baptist Church of Iredell, Texas. I said, I'm going to enroll in seminary. I'm going to go over to Baylor. I'm going to enroll in Truett Seminary. And he was a Southwestern guy. There's a lot of good Southwestern guys out there. He, he said, Jason, Jason, you enroll in Truett. You can preach anywhere in Texas. If you enroll in Southwestern, you can preach anywhere in the world. Well, that made up my mind. I only wanted to preach in Texas. <laughs> pro Ecclesia, pro Texana, right? But we know that that's been proven wrong, don't we? There are friends in Truett Seminary all over the world. 
It doesn't matter where they are, be they near or far. The God that is with us today in this hallowed space is as much with them in their journey. God says, I'm going to be present with you. God also says, I'm going to be powerful enough for you. I have to admit, we didn't know how we were going to make it through Hurricane Harvey. Two years later, we had Tropical Storm Imelda with 44 inches of rain. Hurricane uh, Harvey set the national record for tropical rainfall. Imelda came in third place, but still a top 10 storm. And we looked around and we say, oh, Lord, not again. After Texas Baptist men had packed up two months after they had been in our church camping out, doing ministry on the journey that led them down to us to help restore and rebuild the lives of people in our neighborhood who were still recovering and rebuilding from Hurricane Harvey after Imelda came and after Imelda went, we had a plant explosion. We are in an area where all of the oil in the state of Texas that's drilled from, from the Permian Basin, much of the oil that comes from the western part of the United States, it all flows in great pipelines down down to refineries and chemical plants and they mix things together. They produce chemicals that are highly explosive and we had a plant blow up, knock the windows out of houses within a three mile radius. We were fortunate, we were four miles away. It's the week of Thanksgiving, they called for an evacuation. I was planning on staying at home and grilling steaks but I had to go be with family. It, 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 that was a good thing. That was a good thing. And I, I remember calling each of our church members who lived in that blast radius. Some of their houses had been shifted on their foundations. Many of their ceilings imploded and they woke up just shrouded in sheetrock. Just calling them up and praying with them. There was nothing I could do. I, I thought, Lord, there is nothing I can do. What is my responsibility on this portion of the journey? And, and God, God graciously reminded me that it wasn't in my power to accomplish his will. It was my obligation to be faithful to the journey, to minister and to be present to these people and to encourage them with, with such words as Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It wasn't up to my power. It didn't depend on my education or my learning all revolved around God because God was present to us in power. God was present to us in a very personal way. God always sends his people out on the journey with a personal note. God is always present to us. He went with his children from Egypt down the desert road in a very tangible way. And Jesus promises us that he will be with us, that he will not forsake us. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is personal to us. The journey is where we learn 
learn just how personal he is, just how committed he is to us so that our commitment to him might remain inspired, so that our commitment to him might grow and be strengthened and that we might invite a few others to participate in the journey with us. The journey, or the calling was never to a destination. It was always to this journey, and we're still journeying with God. And that journey just takes heroic trust. The greater the challenges that we face, the greater the trust is required. I know in this audience, I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't already heard from Scripture, and I'm thankful for that. But I'll tell you a story you've might not heard from history, one that you need to learn. Remember this name, Ernest Shackleton. He was an explorer in the golden age of Arctic exploration. Dr. Gregory, I remember in a doctoral seminar, you encouraged all of us to, to find niches of, of information, to pursue curiosities that are beyond what might be acquired in a, in a seminary setting. My niche is polar Arctic exploration. The golden age of Arctic exploration was a time when the maps were not all drawn in. So it's very reminiscent of the time that Moses was leading the Hebrew children out of Egypt to the Red Sea and ultimately towards the promised land. Ernest Shackleton set out on a mission in 1914, it's called the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition. The, North, the South Pole had already been discovered. The North Pole had already been achieved, but no one had ever mapped out and crossed the Southern continent. He put together resources. He put together a, a ship called the Endurance, and his goal was to sail to the Southern continent, to park on one of its great ice flows, and to, with his men and with his dogs, to traverse the southern continent and map out its terrain. Well, he sailed in September of 1914. It happened to be a particularly cold year. His ship, hundreds of miles north of Antarctica, was lodged in the ice. Trillions of tons of ice beat against it and crushed the hull of the endurance. His men were able to get off for months. They floated around on ice flows, great fields of ice that, that were at the whim of the currents and the waves, and they had three small lifeboats. And from these three small lifeboats, they made a treacherous sea voyage to a little place that's hardly on any map called Elephant Island. And they had just enough land, just enough territory to, to set up camp and hope for the future. But the bad news was no shipping lanes were yet established near Elephant Island. It would require Ernest Shackleton and a few others to go by lifeboat, an open raft, across the most treacherous portion of Earth's oceans to a place called South Georgia Island. On South Georgia Island, there was a whaling station. 
There was ship traffic. There was rescue and resources. And he set off with six men in this lifeboat. They put a, a tarp over, over the, um, the greater part of the boat so they could get in from the rain. And they set sail. And 16 days later, after a storm and after, after all manner of tragedy at sea, they finally landed on South Georgia Island, but they landed on the opposite side from where the whaling station was. South Georgia Island is one of the most inhospitable places in the entire world. No one, no one had ever been over the mountain range from the south to the north. Ernest Shackleton, because he had 27 people that depended on him, picked two other guys, a guy named um, Tom Crean and a guy named Frank Worsley, who was his captain. He said, guys, we're going to travel over these mountains. I know there's a whaling station over there. We're going to go. We don't know what's going to meet us in the way. There are unnamed mountain and glaciers between us and them, but we're going to go and we're going to trust that we're going to get there. They, they went from sea level up to three or 4,000 feet in elevation. And on this 36-hour trek that they were making to save their lives, to save the lives that depended on, upon them, they found themselves on a, on a razorback ridge and a storm coming up quickly. They started to make their way down, making progress, but they were only taking one step at a time. They could only chisel one step at a time in front of them, and it was going to take hours to get down into the valley. And Ernest Shackleton called the two other men, Tom Crean and Frank Worsley, together. He said, guys, this isn't going to cut it. I don't know what lies behind us, but I know that if we stay still, if we stop the journey now, we will perish on this mountain. They had 50 feet of rope. And they coiled it up and they sat down upon it and made a sled and they held on to each other and they trusted that they would arrive at the bottom in safety. For over a thousand feet, they descended down that mountainside, down that icy ridge, down the snow-covered uh, places on South Georgia Island. And finally, when they got to the bottom in a cloud of dust, they, they got up, they celebrated, they shook each other's hands. But the most amazing part about that story, more amazing even than the fact that they got to safety, that they rescued their men who were left on Elephant Island, that they, every one of them survived was their testimony afterwards. Ernest Shackleton in his memoirs wrote these words about that treacherous trip over the mountain pass. He says, when I look back on those days, I have no doubt that providence guided us, not only across those snow fields, but across the storm white sea that separated Elephant Island from the landing place on South Georgia. I know that during that long and racking march of 36 hours over unnamed mountain and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that there were four of us, not three. Friends, we're never alone. The journey may be difficult. The journey may not make sense. But there will be a day a glorious day where we'll be able to look back from a different vantage point and we'll be glad that we said yes to God. We'll be glad that we made our commitment to throw all of our trust into his gracious hands and we'll say with a new naivete, 
God, you are great. God, you are good. Thank you for calling me to the journey, even when we traveled the desert road. Allow me the pleasure of praying for each of you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the portion of the journey that we have traveled today. I thank you for the remembrance and reconnection to the journeys that have been in my past that, Father, have contributed to the good of my life, the good that, that I thank you for with great gratitude. Thank you for those that spoke truth into my existence. And I thank you for those who laid the foundations so that I might be fit to be found faithful in whatever portion your journey had for me. May we all be found faithful as you visit us. May you reveal yourself to us even on the desert. Father, thank you for being good and thank you for being gracious. Continue to use us and empower us. And may we never lose sight of your presence amongst us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.